projection-wise, last question. What, what do you think out of the Browns? Out of curiosity. Eight wins, nine wins. Nobody cares. No, no Browns. I just, I just ask a lot, man. <laughs> you got to bark if we the underdog. Well, I mean, my coaches were, you know, I say my idols, but in a lot of ways, the guys that I respected uh, as much as anybody that, you know, I've ever been around. We're back with another episode of the Underdog Podcast. This is the place where knowledge nuggets aren't something you eat, but something you learn. But before we get to tonight's show, we want to say thank you. Whether it's your first time listening or you're a faithful listener, please download and leave a comment so we can continue to grow the underdog community. And with that, let's get after it. How can we have a better mindset towards everything in life? And that's one of the things I love about coaching is being able to at least influence 19 to 24 um, year old women um, and, you know, a roster of 20 to 23. And how do we at least be good models of um, being good executors of the elite mindsets? Today, we have an icon, a legend, and one of the top in her profession. She is the head softball coach for the University of Washington Huskies, UW coach Heather Tarr. Welcome to the Underdog Podcast, Coach. <laughs> Thank you. It's a great intro. I felt like I was being introduced to a game at a game. Yeah, yeah. It was like almost like a wrestling introduction. That I was supposed to say U Dub with him, and I totally just missed just it. Just looked at me. <laughs> just looked at you. U Dub. There you go. I got it in. So, well, thank you for joining the Underdog Podcast, Coach. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to hear from you guys and tell a little bit about my story and see what things are like out in. In, in your guys' part of the world. Yeah, for sure. Uh, as I say all the time, you know, it, with this as being the underdog, we like to really highlight, you know, those adverse moments that that people have had and really share so that our audience can relate. And I want to go back to um, July 7th, 2004, um, when you became the head coach um, at your alma mater, um, University of Washington. Uh, and, and took on that leadership role. Can you take us back to that day and, you know, kind of the how the events unfolded and maybe some of the emotions of, of being young as being a young leader and, and taking over um, a program? Yeah, that's a great question. Well phrased. Um, takes me back definitely to the moment where I was 29 at the time, just finishing up a pretty solid like assistant coaching career at the University of the Pacific where we we were kind of the, I guess, you know, the, the little engine that could there, a little D one program, no football program at the time did some awesome things. And the coach I played for at Washington, um, ended up getting, uh, let go in the middle of the softball season in December of Oh three. And I remember thinking and connecting with a bunch of my teammates and alumni thinking like, you know what, who's going to take over and coach Wilson's not going to do it. Like who's there. And you know, there was a couple of us that could have probably and had some of the experience, but really we, my peers that I played with, my cohort, we were the first and second classes that played at UW. So it's not like there was like, you know, a 50-year-old alum that could take over the program or what have you. So here I go, this 29-year-old thinking, you know, I can do it, I can do it. And um, I, I can get into that interview process and the story of that. Um, but just to take you back to that day, July 7th, that press conference, I think I was completely uh, unprepared for it, actually, looking back on it. Like, no idea. Like, the questions that were going to be asked, we had the whole team there kind of, like, eyes on me, the new coach. Like, who is this alum that's taking over and going to tell us, like, what to do? We went to the World Series last year. We can do this. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, 
And then really like my main mission, I honestly can tell you this is the next day after I got the job, I was driving up across the Washington Canada border to go watch probably our most impactful player that I've been able to coach as far as Danielle Laurie. So I was like, just give me the car. Let me go. We got business to take care of. Oh, love it. Love it. And, and the one thing I love about this story is she was a former walk on talk about playing at playing at Washington. You think a Husky softball, the one thing in, in my research, it's, it's, we're talking to her, right? So it's just awesome to say, you know, we're talking about that specific date, but what led up to that date, right. And coach, I'll let you touch upon this, but becoming a walk on earning your way and you had a great career in, in the nineties. Uh, you're actually, you're kind of in his break bracket, by the way. So you, he might relate. You're being nice to him off the coach, bat. Coach, we're wise. We're, just, we're wise in our years. And we're so. like getting younger. It's the weirdest thing. We just go back. Like our era goes backwards in age. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, before you guys digress any further, um, you were a walk-on. You you know you grinded it out. Uh, your epitome of of Husky softball then and now, obviously, and. Um, being the winningest coach, congratulations on being the winningest coach in Washington Husky softball. So, you know, and, and uh, to your both your credit, you guys are still both very young people, and I'm not too far away. But um, talk us about that underdog journey, right, from being a walk-on, and I was a walk-on myself, and how hard it is just to even make the team, <laughs> you know, and then fast forward years later, you're the head coach in 2009 winning the national championship. Yeah, it's a weird, it's weird to think about it. You know, I even look at the women that come into our program as walk-ons and I'm like, I just, I want them to know it doesn't define you that you don't have a scholarship, that you don't necessarily have a said starting position. I think that's the hardest thing to do is um, just get in the door. And so that's what we always preach. I mean, even those that we recruit pretty, you know, highly, um, you know, you're just getting in the door. It doesn't mean that because this, you know, you have this much money, it equals this. And so we definitely preach that in our program. And I knew that at the time, um, you know, I, I made some sacrifices to not go places where they were giving me some scholarship money. And my parents, um, you know, if it hadn't been for them encouraging me to walk on and help me pay the $900 a quarter it was to attend school at UW, I wouldn't have been able to do what I did. I actually lived at home. So I had quite a commute going from the east side of Seattle to you know, University of Washington to get to school every day. It was kind of a, um, it was hard. Um, There's a lot of things that went on, but um, I think the reasons I got the job and I got the head coaching job root back to the fact that I was a walk-on. And one of the guys that was on the search committee when I was going for the job, he was actually a walk-on. And so my story definitely resonated with his story. And it was kind of like, something that, you know, he couldn't undo in his brain, knowing, you know, what his path was, Tom Tenor is his name, football player, um, and knowing what, you know, my path was, he kind of, you know, he, re he really related with it. Sure. And you said, you know, I thought something you first said was, which is, we always talk about knowledge nuggets, transferable knowledge nuggets that anyone that's listening, whether in life or business, you hit the ground running, right? You said day one, you're, you're crossing the border into Canada to make sure to keep your and retain your talent. We always talk about, you know, talent acquisition to talent retention. And I thought one thing coach I saw in a quote you had, he said, recruiting is everything. 
not a great there's no great coach without great players and i i heard you obviously just right off the bat in our conversation can you touch upon that quote yeah i think i i early on um in my coaching career i would have said like i i wouldn't have probably said that but i guess now in and of itself like right now where i'm at it absolutely doesn't have anything to do with me as a coach i don't think it has everything to do with the players that you acquire, um, to, to use your word, the talent you acquire, and you have to have the right talent. Don't get me wrong. And as a coach, you have to be the right fit for them. But I really believe that the players make you, um, and they make, make your program. I mean, yes, the players can say the coach has a lot to do with them, but you're not, you're, you're not a very smart coach if you don't have the best players. When did you realize you wanted to be a coach? I realized probably at a young age, I think throughout junior high specifically, I had some really good coaching, um, whether that was the baseball coaches I had growing up um, and then on into other sports. I, I played everything. I mean, maybe that's old school, but I would hope to think that that can still happen today where you just change with the seasons and you go with the sport you're playing. But um, I think on into high school, I had probably one of the best coaches I ever had it was my sophomore year in high school, entering entering high school as a sophomore, we didn't have, um, going back to junior high, we were in junior high and ninth grade. So our first, like, I guess, go at high school sports was in 10th grade, sophomore year. And my um, volleyball coach at the time, who actually played at the University of Washington, she was for her for in her first year coaching, and she basically told the seniors, <laughs> uh, and I respected it so much that just because they're a senior, they're they're not going to be guaranteed to play. And she's here to change the culture and the program. And she was actually one of the best coaches I ever had looking back on it. Um, and so when I saw her coach and her do what, you know, she did and my basketball coach and my softball coach in high school, like those people inspired me. They were strong female role models of mine. And um, I'm actually still friends with them today. So that's really uh, my upbringing and coaching and why I wanted to coach. So, Coach, you're actually talking about your upbringing, playing Little League, right? You played baseball and then obviously in the softball. The um, We actually had – you're actually our second UW guest. We had uh, – and I learned real quick how good Little League baseball is in the state of Washington. We actually had Chad Har- Harfingson. I don't know if you we mentioned yeah. he was a pitcher for UW uh, after transferring from Notre Dame. And uh, he played at Kirkland uh, Little League. He was on that Little League team. I know you talk a lot about that and – um, so anyway, that's our, we have Kirkland, Kirkland and Redmond, Washington, these guys from Ohio, we're figuring out the state of Washington play baseball and softball and their little leagues are incredible, but put more emphasis that you played baseball. Like, yes, you are now and dominated uh, yeah, the grand like, slams. You're now known for softball, but again, people don't realize that you were, you picked up baseball, I think because of your brother. And then you transition once you got to high school to softball, like that's just kind of unheard of. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it was a cool a thing looking back on it. I mean, at the time, I remember significantly thinking like I'm only playing baseball. I'm going to be the first like female that plays Major League Baseball. And, you know, by the time I was 15 entering high school, I ended up having to switch over just because my strength levels weren't the same as the guys at that that age. But it was a very forming thing in my life that gave me probably the confidence I have to this day to be able to just roll it out there and compete with anybody at any time. I'm going to call Chad and say, Hey, listen, dude, 
Uh, they should have done an ESPN, you know, 360 or whatever they call yeah. it on, on Kirkland. They should have done it on you guys. <laughs> you yeah. hitting that grand slam. Say, hey, I don't care if you went to the Little League World Series, so and so forth, and, and won it, and you, know, and you have your own TV show on ESPN for that for that uh, Little League. Coach yeah. Tar, we, this is this is where it's at. So I, I don't know how happy he would be about that, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to at least poke the bear. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit um... – behind that group, I believe, but I, our group, our 1987 all-stars, like we knew what that team did, a Kirkland little league team did. And we thought we were going to be the next one to do it. We fell one game a short, one game short of going to Williamsport, which was like so disappointing at the time. But for me personally, as you, uh, we talked a little bit before we started the, the, the call here, like I got to go to Williamsport last year and that was literally like the coolest thing ever to be able to finally get there. Yeah. That's a button on my bucket list. I've never been. And it looks incredible. You have to go honestly. Like I, yeah, I mean, you just have to do it. Make it a family road trip. Yeah. Family road trip. The Deckers and the Blackmans maybe make it happen. We'll make it happen. So, um, all right. So 2009, um, you know, one thing I know here in business, having played sports, one thing we realize is that it's all, it's, it's all about team. And I think one of the things that, you know, we always are curious about are the DNA, the makeup of special teams that, that are able to accomplish, you know, a great feat like that. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the DNA of your 2009 national championship team and what made that team special? And for those listening, maybe in the business world of, of how, you know, building a team, they can maybe emulate some of those same attributes. Yeah, I think one of the things I I learned and I believe from a sports psychologist that we've used for a while, um, his name's Ken Revisa. <clears throat> he says things happen before they happen. Like it begins before it begins. And for that 09 championship team, that really actually began probably the day I got hired when I drove up to, you know, get Danielle Laurie on board with us at, at Washington. But even before that, I mean, our program was designed to win the national championship. I mean, Barbara Hedges, the AD at the time in the early nineties, who started softball, um, she, you know, they said, we're going to win a national championship. And so then when I played, we fell short of it by, um, you know, we lost to Arizona in 96 for the national championship game. And so that stuff like lives with you forever. And so my opportunity to come back and give back to the program and help the program, um, at least get the first one was, was, I think a, just a whole thing of what happened before. And so the 09 team specifically, a lot of those women were on the 07 team. And that was my first year bringing a team to the college world series as a coach. And we learned so many lessons then, but in 2008, following up that year, we actually ended up redshirting three of our best players. One of them was Danielle Laurie. She competed in the 08 Olympics in Beijing so we didn't have her. And then one of our starting middle infielders, Ashley Charters, went down with a hip labrum tear. And so she had surgery in January. And then one of our other uh, returning offensive players, Lauren Greer, uh, she ended up tearing her shoulder um, labrum in, in February. So we were out three women in that 08 year. So we kind of just clawed our way into the regionals and we succeeded with what we had at the time, but we knew coming back to that 09 year, something good was going to happen. No guarantees though. And I don't know if you guys know that story, but there's a cool article that Graham Hayes did in ESPN article this summer, actually that team, the 09 team, we didn't even get to host the first round of the tournament, nor did we get to host uh, 
the second round of the NCA tournament, we were on the road and we had to fly to UMass the first weekend. Um, and that was a battle in and of itself. And you go back and you look and see how we ended up winning. That was like ridiculous. It's just an epic story. And then we end up going on to the world series and, and we take it all, but it was not easy. We were on the road for um, 23 plus days missing school. It was, it was crazy. Wow. Wow. What a story. See, look, once again, ESPN <laughs> missed it again. Yeah. Yeah. They, they got the article, but they yeah. need to do it. They need to do it. Yeah. Yeah. We got Dylan McCullough. who was on here. He had his <laughs> special Chad Harvinson had his come on, let's go ESPN. <laughs> let's get this thing together. Um, but like you said, there, there is, and I think that's a lot, you have talent, but you got to put yourself in positions. There is some luck at times or some things that maybe go your way. And, you know, obviously, but you guys manufactured that, right? You, you put yourself in a position to succeed. And that's great. I think for anyone that's listening, how to manufacture a team and the DNA, as you said, having talent, but also it sounds like you have great culture. And then uh, something I love the talking about Ken, I know he passed away, I believe that your mental coach. Um, and uh, I read a book by Trevor Moad. Um, it takes what it takes. And he talks a lot about what Ken talked about what I saw like pitch by pitch game by game, really just that that, you know, neutral thinking of side by side, side by side, however you want to say it. Um, you know, a lot of that. And I and that's something I kind of took away from some of your interviews as well. And um, I think that's a big piece of it. The mental side, is there anything else coach that you could maybe mention to someone's listening about the mental approach? I think we see, we turn on ESPN and, and I love watching softball on ESPN, by the way, I can um, never hit the ball. I know. I know. I, yeah. I don't even want to try to get up there, but the, uh, I think it's a great sport to watch, but I think that people just turn on the game and we can talk about this with football or basketball and just think that it's just a physical game, but really it's a mental game almost more than anything. Uh, can you touch upon that? Yeah, I like the question. Um, if if you get into Trevor Moad stuff, like we've obviously are because he represents the Pacific Northwest, works with Russell Wilson and and that kind of a thing. And of course, we are geeks about that kind of stuff. But um, I think the biggest thing in in baseball and softball, I mean, all of sports specifically, but in baseball and softball, like you can't compete in the sport. If you are fragile, like you're going to fail so many times. And you're like, Ken Revisa used to say, you're standing in front of the gods naked, like in our sport, whether you're a pitcher or you're a hitter, you're literally so exposed. So um, it takes a lot to make it through to get to the highest level. But in the end, if you can get to that point, you are literally constantly pitch by pitch trying to recover from the past thing. And it's just, I love the fact that it mimics life is like, you have to find a way to be where you need to be when you need to be there. And we constantly are talking about how we can learn to do that better and better and better. And the practice of being present um, is something we talk all the time. And the pitch by pitch side by side, the inning by inning, um, we actually have that in our, in our lock or our classroom. And uh, we actually have a picture of Ken Revisa standing next to that. And I'll cherish that forever and just try to teach, you know, through his message, um, tell I'm done coaching. Yeah, that's great. And I love that mentality. And, and we do, we eat that up as well. We, we truly believe in the mental approach to things. And just think about that. We had a couple MLB guys on here and, you know, they're talking about the same thing. It's like, if you're one out of three, if you get, if you get a hit one out of three times, you're in the hall of fame, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? That you fail more than you succeed. So how do you mentally approach pitch by pitch and hit by hit, you know, or 
in, in those things or a bat, you know, each a bat and just break it down to the science. And I think that's something, you know, once again, we can translate that into the business. You know, it's kind of taking increments of sometimes 15 minutes in a day, right? Or it's an hour a day, win that hour. So many times people think they're winning, they're trying to win what our coach, college coach said is the win technique. What's important now? Yeah, we have the goal to win the MAC championship or for you, the Pac-12, but you know, we, we have to take this step today. We got to go lift, right? We need to go and go to study table, right? And actually make sure we can, <laughs> we can get the grades to actually play. You know, those are the things that, uh, you know, I think once again, a lot of people that aren't familiar with college athletics just take for granted uh, is how tough mentally you have to be. And I think one thing you've mentioned too, Coach, was getting to teach one of the reasons you coach, and it goes along those same lines of, if, you know, mental is um, the reason you do it is getting to teach life skills and how to be a thinker. Uh, can you kind of touch on that a little bit as well? It's the what we do as coaches, um, teachers, educators is you're teaching a mindset, like a performing mindset. And not that we're trying to be fake and like in the end, like just completely break down because we don't like, we aren't really who we are. I mean, I'm not saying that, but just being able to teach a mindset to a team, first of all, in a common language that is going to allow us to be at our best. And then individual mindsets. I mean, you're constantly looking and listening for the things that you don't want to see and hear as a coach, you know? And then we try to teach that, um, to our influences, influencers on our team, because, you know, as new people come in and you hear things or you see things that are like contradictory to elite performance or being able to be in the moment, we just try to catch those things and guide them into the direction that they need to be. I mean, I, I'm thinking about this right now, like all three of us here on this, on this call, like how much social media is just barfing right now, like from a mindset standpoint, I mean, no question there's things that are like, um, need to be changed in our society and in the world. But like, my goodness, like just how can we have a better mindset towards everything in life? And that's one of the things I love about coaching is being able to at least influence 19 to 24 um, year old women um, and, you know, a roster of 20 to 23. And how do we at least be good models of um, being good executors of elite mindsets? That's why we do this podcast. Absolutely. Mike, Man. Dr Mike, I'm, Mike I'm dropped. Ready, I'm ready to run out of the dugout. Um, <laughs> I'm going to steal a question from my partner here, Mr. Blackman. And he oftentimes asks the coaches that come onto the podcast, you know, uh, if, if, if you're coming into, I'll use your daughter as an example, although your daughter is only like four or five. That's all right. So Oakley Blackman, you're coming into Cincinnati. You're on a recruiting visit. And by the way, she was actually, uh, her dad is from Ohio, Steubenville shout out. Um, and so you're coming into Ohio to recruit Oakley Blackman and you come in and, and you come in to talk to Calvin and Amber, his parents. And he likes to ask what, what, what makes uh, me as a parent speaking for Calvin here, want to send my daughter across the country out to Seattle to UW and play and know that she's taken care of. What do you tell parents? What is, what is, you know, what, what is the expectations or the standards out just side of being elite and going to play for national championships? What do you tell those parents? Yeah. I, I mean, I would just say this, like, obviously good parenting helps good coaching execute their job. So it happens a lot of times, um, in the home environment and well, you're in trouble with this guy. So we'll, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll well, let you finish, but Oh, that, that's, all right. I don't know if you want to recruit Oakley. No, just kidding. It's okay. Oakley's still got time. We, we still got time. Yes. Yeah, she's um, a work in progress. But the, uh, the, the true like 
cool thing about our program and any program that you want to look at is like, look at our women when they're 25, look at them when they're 30, look at them when they're 35. I mean, look at our four women that are trying to compete for the Olympic games um, coming up, see what they're like. There's so many commonalities with women that have graduated and played for us. And they have these skills that allow them to not just be good at softball when they're at UW and be good at school. I mean, of course, like, yeah, that's a given, but like what happens when they're 25, what happens when they're 30? I would just challenge you to look at our, our women from that end, from that lens. I love it. I love it. What, what they do after is what it's all about. That is, that is fantastic. Hold on guys. Sorry. Oh, you're good. No worries. No worries. No worries. That's what we like. That's people know. Okay. This is real. Sorry, guys. No, no. you're good. All, all gravy. So we we knew uh, it's all real. Um, as as we go here through um, a few of the questions we have as we as we always come to the end, we do our hot takes. So we're gonna put you on the hot seat a little bit, and we got some good knowledge nuggets. I think we've accumulated um, the one that I don't have on the list. I'm just curious because I work with family, right? And I know you work with your husband. Um, any words of advice before we get into <laughs> hot takes? Um, any words of advice for me? I work with my dad, my brother-in-law, my father-in-law, uh, I guess a friend. I don't even know what you are anymore. But <laughs> What advice do you have for me? Uh, well, I would just say this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a metaphor to the sport environment. So like in sports, there's roles that are needing to be played. There's a coach, there's a player, or an athlete, there's a official and there's spectators. Okay. So those are roles that are played and you have to execute the role you're in. So parent can't be a player. The umpire, you know, has to be, be the umpire. Coaches can't be the umpires. Okay. So you're with me. So in your environment, it's the same thing. It's hard because like so much blends when you're in business with your family, but like you still have to give yourself the opportunity to be a husband or be a wife or be a dad or be the son. And it's hard when everything blends. So I would just say like, don't lose those roles of being in a family through the business. Is it one of those, like when you step between the lines, you know, you take on your role. And then obviously when you step outside of the lines, you can kind of go back into the the husband, the father, or whatnot. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I just kind of threw that. I, out I just there. don't know how you're not at the dinner table talking about recruits. And did you hear that? <laughs> she said that's yeah. all they do. That, yeah, I know. That, like, I, so yeah. it's it's got to be like film is on in the house all the time. I'm thinking. Oh, it's awful. I, I mean, literally, like I mean, it's it's hard. It's really hard. You know, you're just like you excuse yourself to be on your phone and be like, well, I'm watching a video of a player, you know, hitting. Uh, you know, or I'm scouting or I, you just like literally have no life. So I would just say, don't lose your life in your work. Okay. Number two. Yeah. Ready? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, let it rip. All right. So next one is you love to bake. Oh, <laughs> yeah. You guys did some good research. We oh my did. Goodness. We did. So you say, wait, hold on. But she likes to bake, but not cook. Well, she doesn't like to cook. Which right, we got to right. figure out so, too. Yeah. So before so we'll, that we'll was let, before COVID. I'm getting good at cooking. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Your husband, right. And your husband probably appreciates that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I hear you make the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. You uh, banana bread is is tremendous. Um, you make a to quote you make a mean cinnamon roll, 
and I don't even know what a Dutch baby is, no but it sounds either. good. <laughs> yeah. The Dutch baby is probably my marquee item. And you need to like, just follow Martha Stewart on Instagram. And she posts about Dutch babies often. Um, okay. Yeah. My banana bread, I learned a, be- a better recipe over COVID time. So watch out world. Um, chocolate, chocolate chip cookies have kind of gone on the back burner, but Maybe that's like, I like art and I like drawing and I like to create, but I haven't really done much of that. I mean, I do it like essentially within my job and like little things I'll create, but like, I think baking's become my new like release, if that makes sense, <laughs> like my stress relief. So we usually send, which we will, we always send our guests, you know, a package to say thanks. I'm thinking and vice versa, I need to check out these chocolate chip cookies. No we doubt. Need, we need to get a shipment shipment from Washington. We'll send so. you a container yeah. with some saran wrap. Yeah, right? yeah, we'll send we'll send out our shipment with a box that you can say, okay, you can send back. <laughs> Return uh, to sender, got it. Yes. That's fantastic. So you, I know there's a lot of outdoor activities out uh, out in the in the great Northwest and obviously in, outside of Seattle. You like to ski from my understanding. Um, you also uh, tore your ACL body surfing. So what, what, uh, <laughs> you know, between skiing and surfing and all the extracurriculars, what, you know, obviously if, if you're a UW player, don't do that, you know, don't, don't watch your coach do all these things. But what this tells but, recruits <laughs> is you're all in. Yeah. You're all in. You're active. <laughs> yeah. You have fun and you're competitive, but yeah. What, what, what's your better sport skiing or, uh, surfing? Oh my, well, I, surfing is not my, my forte <laughs> clearly. I don't know how to like even get out of the ocean without tearing my knee up. But uh, I would say my favorite thing to do is skiing, but I've actually adopted a new sport. This, this COVID period, I bought a mountain bike and up where um, my, my parents live and my older brother lives. There's a ton of nice, like mountain biking trails through the mountains. I'm, I'm like starting that. So I'm not afraid to try a new thing. Um, Body surfing again, that's kind of have to go off to the side, but for sure the skiing is, and being in the mountains is one of my favorite things. Okay. I like that. So I got a couple more, but yeah, I really want to, I got a new one too. All right. I got one. I'm, I'm going to go with this one. So I heard you and your husband dressed up as a uh, JLo and A-Rod <laughs> for Halloween one year. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. How did that yeah, come Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so in the spirit of actually like doing something with the team, I was like, I don't feel like, finding a costume one year um jt wore like a like a peanut butter and jelly thing we found at target like it was easy or you know you just kind of find the easy costume and i was like i'm not really that into it but then i felt bad leaving the house i'm like oh my gosh we have to do something and jt wasn't that into it either but i'm like i looked at these leggings i had and i had this weird like fur purple fur coat it's fake fur um but i was like i know like i can just be like put my hair in a bun and put hoop earrings on and put makeup on like JLo's I'll be JLo. And then I ran over on the other side of the condo and I was like, JT, put your suit on. You'll be A-Rod and I'll be JLo. And so (laughs) here's our costume. And then the funniest thing about it was um, I had this like brown hairspray to like cover your roots. Well, I used uh, my brown hairspray on JT's like silver hair because I don't think A-Rod's hair is really that color, you know, like, <laughs> so we colored JT's hair uh, brown through that spray. So that was probably the highlight of it all, but it was fun to be able to do that with our team. And then of course our team is us. So, you know, they do the coaches. 
coaching staff. So they were more <laughs> funny than we were. That is awesome. great. So the second question is off of that one is, did you dance? Cause I, I, I heard that you only dance for national championships. That's the rumor, but did JLo <laughs> dance that night? God, you got all the good stuff. Um, no, I, I, again, like we win the national championship. I'll go to Waffle House with the whole team and be professionals, but we'll, we'll get after it, but you got to win the national championship to see me do that. I love it. I All love right. it. Yeah, I have, I have a, a, a baseball call. I actually was fortunate enough to come watch my buddy play out in uh, Seattle uh, at the Mariners or the Safeco and they have uh, grasshoppers, I believe it is, or crickets or one of the two that you can eat in the left field. I think it's, what is it? Help me out here. You remember what I'm talking about? They have like the grasshoppers or have you had yeah. those? Have you ever tried one? I actually have not seen them at, uh, well, whatever it's called now, T-Mobile Park. Yes. I've not seen them there. Um, okay. But when I was in Beijing watching the 08 Olympics, I saw my fair share of like scorpions on a stick, crickets on a stick. And um, I mean, the grasshoppers, if that's what they are, I'll look at them, but I would never eat one of those. Yeah. It, Unless we won the I national had one, And it was disgusting. Yeah. Disgusting. In the left field. Behind the left field, everyone kept talking about this, and there's a long line. So you get up there, and they give you like a little plastic Tupperware thing, and they're like seasoned uh, grasshopper type things, and it was disgusting. I mean, I was like, I paid eight bucks or whatever, ten bucks. It sounds like for, a terrible for, for a little thing of dead seasoned grasshoppers. I mean, it was it sounds like a horrible idea. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't know if you had those either because they're, they're disgusting. So don't. I wouldn't worry about it. But okay. should it's, I, it's one of those bucket list things, I guess, that you try to do when you're in Seattle. Should I ask my last one? Yeah. Let's let's Just do last it. one, and we'll and we'll let you get going, Coach. Um, morning routine so i hear that you work out with your team which i think is 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 impactful um to be able to still get out there with your team and obviously and just show them and want to be an inspiration to them in all angles um do you have a morning routine what is what is kind of your morning routine oh man well i mean during covid it went to all heck i didn't do a very good job but i try to not go three days without working out um, I like to work out in the morning. I like to lift weights. I don't like to do other random workout things, <clears throat> but generally I have to have coffee. So here's my coffee that's going on right now. Like I'm a, I don't know if you did this much research on me, but I want to own a coffee shop. I want to make latte art. Like that's kind of like a weird thing I want to do, but that's, um, not really what we're talking about, but my morning routine probably just include getting a good coffee in, working out, and that's about it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, I knew you were trying to – she kind of avoided this in a different interview, so she gave you a better answer. Yeah. Well, I didn't say interview. daily routine. I went with – I threw okay. a curve. I threw a curveball. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we we love – Coach, you were fantastic. We're, we're, we're appreciative of getting to meet you and, and obviously interviewing you has been fantastic. We're going to follow your journey out there. What can we – we love to promote your program – can you let our listeners know uh, how they can follow you and also your program? Yeah, <clears throat> I have a new website coming up. It's heathertar.com. It hasn't fully launched yet because I need to give uh, the guys that I'm working with the content and I'm awful at actually doing stuff about myself, but I'm going to do it. Maybe you guys need to do it for me, actually. Maybe you need to create <laughs> okay. my content. Okay. But um, anyways, that and then I'm at Coach Tar on Twitter and I keep my Instagram private, but if I really like, you know, feel compelled, HTAR22 at Insta on my Instagram. So can we follow? Sometimes you? I let other people in that aren't like that I don't know or 
whatever. So are we in? Are we in? Are we in the family? Are we in the family? Yeah. If I don't accept your your request for a while, it's just because they're lost. (laughs) It's all good. We just want to make sure we were in your inner circle. We know we just met. You would be. I need to follow Oakley for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll have to talk about that social media when she gets there. (laughs) But she will be hopefully. We were playing soccer the other day. She's she's showing me some things. She doesn't understand handball yet, but we'll we'll get there. Hope she has better hand eye coordination than her dad. Come on now. Uh oh. Some of the best hands. Never mind. This is about coach. Um, but I do want to say the last thing is congratulations as well as being selected as one of the assistant coaches for the uh, Tokyo Games when they come up next year for the Olympics. So congratulations on that. Oh, Keep thanks, awesome. guys. Keep doing your thing. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, USA, we'll, we'll be rooting for you. And I don't even know what time zone that is, but if it's in the middle of the night, maybe we'll do a, a live. Set an alarm. We'll do a live like uh, podcast, Facebook Live or something, and we'll yeah, have a co- I'll we'll, do it. We'll have an underdog podcast sponsored. We'll invite all the the UW fans. And now that we, you know, UW is winning our Pac-12 race here for guests. No doubt. They just took the lead with Coach Tar. So hey, putting mm-hmm. Pac-12 on notice. UW is stepping up. I like That's so. right. It's probably, I don't know if you know this, but Don James, our famous football coach, he's he coached at Kent State. So, hey. Hey. You know? Let's just keep bringing it Ohio. in. Yeah. Love it. OH, the heart of where it is. Somehow we, we connect one way or another. Yep. And, yeah. I think Saban had something to do with him at Kent State, too. So, yes. you know? Yes. For sure. Well, 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 God bless you. Great luck, you know, moving forward. I hope that you guys get a full season in next year, obviously. And, and go Team USA and continued success. And we're going to continue to follow you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, you guys. All right, Coach. Thank you very much. Yeah. Take care. Appreciate you guys. Yeah. Doing thank this. you so much. We'll see you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast. Please subscribe and rate our podcast on the Apple and Google Podcast apps and send our Twitter handle a screenshot of your rating at Underdog Pod with your shirt size for a chance to win a free t shirt. See you next week on the UDP.